0: The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. Bring in a famine. He'll bring in something to awaken you to the situation you've put yourself in many times. And he allows a famine to come in. Why? Because it's often it's when those things that we love most inappropriately are stripped away when all the supports around us collapse, when everything we've always longed for right before our eyes just seems to disappear, it, you think you can see Jesus in the bright light, but it's actually many times it's within the darkness. It's within the darkness He will meet you. And, and that's when you realize, oh, Christ has always been before me. He is my hope. He is my life. He is my salvation. He is my joy. And, and I got to tell you, I... This isn't some heady little thought. This was my life. For 23 years, I pursued everything but God with my whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he continually pursued this lost sheep. But it required a drunk driver wrecking into me, breaking 18 bones, and and let's say being in a situation where my mom had to care for me as if I was a baby. That's the kindest way to say it, to realize man, there is a God. It didn't happen overnight. It happened through much frustration. I was in the pig slop, right? Not really, but I was as low as it goes. That's where this young man is. And and I got to tell you, a lot of people say, oh, that's so bad. And I get what they mean, and that's kind, but I love, I often say, I love my limp. I love my little sore hip in the morning. Why? Because it reminds me of God's kindness. But it also reminds me of the severity that God will go to bring his lost people home. Oh, he he loves like that. That's the kind. It's not care, bear, love, fuzzy, kind, ooh, huggy. No. He's willing to let you go as far as you want. It's the scariest thing in the world. Oh, I hope you don't go that far. But many times, even as a Christian, I've, I've realized the Lord will allow painful events into my life to, to wake me up and to free me from unbelief and from idolatry. More than I'd like to even care to admit. And, and this happens. There's a saying that you cannot meet God as He truly is until you've met up with Him, with yourself as you truly are. Well, that's true. What about this young man, though? What about this young man? What's he going to do? Well, we don't, have to, we don't have to wait around to guess. Look at verse 17. It says, but when he came to himself, like when he came to his mind, like he's, he's in the pig slop. What am I doing? Right? He said this, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I know I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son treat me as one of your hired servants and he arose and he came to his father remember this is a faraway land that's a long walk you ever made the walk of shame and I don't mean after a Saturday night hangover right I'm talking you you know I'm going to go face someone I've hurt greatly right and, and all the things you're rehearsing in your mind. And no doubt, this man's kicking stones on the way. And he's thinking about all the things he wants to say when he meets his dad. He wants to, t- I mean, listen to the language. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I'm not worthy to be called family anymore. I've ruined the name. I've ruined the name. Just, just treat me as a slave. Because your slaves are actually treated better than those who are hired in these other countries. Oh, how I need your love, dad. see, it appears, though, that desperation and misery has actually brought some clarity into this young man's life. Many many times we can look back throughout our life where God has allowed something terrible to happen to bring clarity. Many times we'll say, when something horrific happens, why me? Why not you often is the question I want to ask people, but I don't find that to be kind in that moment. But God's doing 10,000 things you can't even begin to understand to wake you up. Oh, but, but we think, no, he, he would never do that. Oh, he would do that. He does that. question is, is this, is this man repentant? Uh, that word, by the way, it's a religious word most often, but it just means, is he, has his heart changed? Or does he just, I'm in a bad situation, I'm out of cash, I'm going to go home, right? Maybe dad will throw me some scraps, let me live in the basement. Or is his heart for his father many times, uh, Christians, we try to figure this out. You know, the Bible gives two pictures. There's this picture of a worldly grief, right? You're really sad, not at the heart, but because you got busted right? This happens all the time. Some, some horrific thing happens in a relationship between a husband and a wife. Maybe the wife found out the husband was having an affair and, and they come and they land in my office. The grenade went off. The shrapnel hit everyone. And he's crying with snot coming out of his face. Oh, really? I'm sorry. He may be, but we don't know. He might just be sorry he got busted. He might just be sorry that he's in this particular situation. The, the thing is, I can't see your heart, but God can. God can see your heart. God can see when, when they're really just tears that you have found yourself in a situation you didn't want to find yourself in. But then there's this godly grief that the Bible talks about, like with King David. And, and what that is, is, is this man, if you remember the story, the prophet goes before him and he tells him the story about this poor little guy who lost this little lamb and David loves lamb, he's a good shepherd, right? And he's like, whoever that is, I want him killed, right? I'm just paraphrasing, you get the point. But in that moment, the Lord cut his heart because the prophet says, you're the man. You're the man who stole from these people. You're the man who sinned against God. And then in Psalm 51, what we read is we read a picture of godly grief. And we read a picture of of where King David says, against you and only you, God, have I sinned. And he realized, and then, now if we know the story, that's not true. I'm sure Bathsheba would say, No, nah, I think you got some sin against me. Uriah, if his blood could speak from the ground, would say, You definitely sinned against me, bud. How about the nation of Israel? And God, and this is a man after God's own heart. That's why I always crack up when I'm hanging out with Christians who really think their stuff doesn't stink. Like, do you even know yourself? Do you even know the Bible? Your heart's more wretched than you could realize because you're blind to your own self-righteousness. Oh, how gross it is and how quickly we can find ourselves there. You know, a lot of pointy-headed theologians will debate this topic as to whether he re- repented or not. I don't know why because we really don't know. But I'll tell you this. When it says he came to himself and he came home, I actually don't think that was the moment. I don't think that's was the moment that his heart really broke. because He's devising a plan for reacceptance, right? He's going to earn his way back into the good graces of good old dad. He says, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as a slave. That's his language. In other words, I'm going to atone for all the things I've done wrong, so that one day, one day, maybe, maybe I'll come back to your table. But, but that's, that's not what happens. Which is good news, by the way. Look at, look at the second half of 20 through 24. But while he was a long way off, so here he is. Picture him. He's pathetic. I mean, he's really pathetic. He's skinny. He's dirty. Smells like pig slop. He's walking down the road. But while he's a long way off, his father saw him. And these words, man, I pray you can get them. His father saw him and felt compassion. I'll tell you right now, if I'm that dad, that's not what I'm feeling. It doesn't bring me joy to tell you that. The son's telling me that's not what I feel. Maybe it's what I feel. I doubt that's what I feel, but that's what this father feels. And notice it says, and he ran, and he embraced him, and he kissed him, and he said to him, father, son, picture him. He's, He's pathetic. I've sinned against you and before heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father actually will have none of that. He'll have none of that. Listen to what he declares. Listen to what he says. In that moment, the father spots his son. He sees him in a far off distance, and he overflows with compassion. He overflows with compassion. He sprints out to meet him. He's not concerned about any of the words he has to say. He takes him in his arms. He begins to kiss him in the most masculine way, right? And he he begins to tell him, his love for him. But he doesn't just tell him, he actually shows him, right? This young man has a well-rehearsed plea for his dad, and his dad wants no part of it as he says this, bring quickly. Let's just, let's just picture it. Can you picture it? Because here's, here's where it's going, spoiler alert, this is how God greets you in your pig slop and in your mess. Compassion, running to you, lavishing you with love. And he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. But the father says, yes, none of that. He wants to hear none of that. Bring quickly right now the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Put shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let's eat. Let us eat. Let us celebrate. Why? For my son was dead. And he is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. Remember the last two parables. All of heaven rejoices. The, all of heaven roars when a sinner comes home and receives the grace that the Father has created. My son was dead, he's now alive. He was lost, he's now found. And they began to celebrate. Is this the picture that you have of heaven? A party. Literally a party, or do you picture chubby little fat cherubs sitting on a cloud? Not like the Van Halen kind, right? If you remember that cover, that was gangster. But I'm talking like, I'm talking like a feast with the best wine. Wine won't be there. Some of my Baptist friends would say, "I'm like, you're, you know, I am like you i do not know what Bible you read." It'll be the best wine. Jesus' first miracle was he turned water into wine. It will flow from the mountains. The best meat. They'll have bacon, right? (laughs) Jews couldn't eat swine. They can now. Thank you, Jesus. Don't call it unclean. Pork belly's better, though, I will tell you. This is how grace works. This is how it works. When the son deserves the father's disappointment, he is assured of the father's delight. Do you understand? The kind of love that God has for you. I I believe that that's the moment he probably repented. I I actually think it's in that moment, in the embrace of the Father's love for him. As he's lavishing love upon him, I think that's the moment of his resurrection. That's when he actually became alive. He's rehearsing his story. He's got no words now. Dad doesn't even want to hear him you're my son, right? The Father's love is what repented him. Why do I say that? Because it's the Bible teaches over and over and over. It is the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. It's not law. It's not wrath. They play a part. But law makes you run from God. Wrath makes you run from God. But when you will see that the Father sent the Son to die in your place, even though you deserve wrath, for no other reason than he's a good God, so that he can receive, so that Jesus could receive the weight of our sin, the weight of our wrath, so that you and I could receive the love and the blessing and the, the forgiveness of God. That love is what changes our heart. Why would I not want to live with that Father? Why would I not want to sit at His table? Why would I not want to have a life with Him? I don't, I don't necessarily just want the things you have. I want you. That's the heart of the Christian. The heart of the Christian is... This world could just pass away. I want you. I'm thankful for the things you've given me, but they're not my God. I want you. If everything else on this planet fails me, you'll not fail me. I want you. And I'm telling you right now, if you have that heart, you didn't give yourself that heart. That heart's foreign to you. You were given that heart. That's a gift of grace. No, I don't ever remember a time I didn't love Jesus. Maybe not, Thank God for the grace that you had parents who taught you the Bible and gave you that heart at a young age. But every one of us, make no mistake about it, have given God the finger, per se, and said, I just want your stuff. And he says, here, have it. It won't make you happy, but have it. Sometimes the most terrifying thing in the world is when all your prayers come true and you realize you're still just as empty as you were before you had them. And he says, come home. I'm going to tell you another story that's very similar. And uh, it's a true story by, from a guy named Dr. Rod, Rod Rosenbalt. OK, don't worry about it. He's a Bible teacher. OK, but listen to this story. Told a story of how he wrecked his car when he was 16 years old, right? After he and his friends had been drinking. That's a bad story. Following the accident, Rod called his dad. You ever made that phone call? Not fun. And the first thing his dad asked him was, are you all right? And Rod said, yes. Then he confessed to his father that he was drunk. Rod was naturally terrified about his father's response. Later that night, Rod had made it home. He wept and he wept in his father's study. He was embarrassed. He was ashamed and he was at the end of his rope. And at the end of the ordeal, his father asked him this question, how about tomorrow we go and we get you a new car? Rod now says that he became a Christian in that moment. God's grace had become real to him in the moment of forgiveness and mercy. Now, 81 years old, Rod has since spent his life as a spokesman for the theology of grace. Now, let me ask you, what would you like to say to Rod's dad? See, think about that. Rod says that every time he tells this story in public, there are always people in the audience who get angry. (laughs) And they say, your dad let you get away with that? He didn't punish you at all? What a great opportunity for your dad to teach you some responsibility. Rod always chuckles when he hears this response. And he says, do you think I didn't know what I had done? Do you think it wasn't the most painful moment of my whole life up until that point? He said, I was ashamed. I was scared. My father spoke grace to me in that moment. When I knew I deserved wrath, he goes, and it's in that moment I came alive. Family, that's the nature of grace. That's the nature of grace. It's it's not about, here's the the thing for the point you headed, folks. It's not about the son's repentance. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is the father's love. That's the point of the story, oh how many times we get so up in our head, and we can miss the thing staring us right back in the face, and that there's a God in heaven that no matter what you have done, that when you come home, no matter what, He, he already knows it, comes running to you, and embraces you, dresses you, clothes you. Why? Because you deserve. You don't deserve any of it. You don't deserve any of it. That's the point of grace. When we deserve punishment and instead God gives us mercy, that's when we understand grace. By the way, difference between mercy and grace. Real quick, if you owed me a billion dollars, first off, I'd really like it if you could pay that today. (laughs) But if I felt like being like, Jesus, i would just show you some mercy, and we just scratch that thing out, line item void, that's mercy. You owe me, I cross it out, right? Here's what grace is, though. I cross the, the billion dollar thing out, and I'm like, hey, you're obviously not in a good way, and I put a trillion in your bank account. That's grace. That's grace. This is what God does. Romans 5, 8 says this, that while we were still sinners, rebels, hating God, warring with Him, right? This, it encompasses much of what's being said Christ died for us this is the heart of the gospel substitutionary atonement you deserve god's wrath god takes your wrath he takes your place he goes upon the cross in the in in Christ he puts on flesh he receives your punishment so that so that your debt could be canceled but he doesn't just end it there What else He does? He forgives your sins, but He gives you His righteousness. That's better than a trillion in the bank. It means Jesus' perfect life in your place. So now you have direct access to the Father, the Father who embraces sinners. Why? Because Christ has done it all. God decisively acts in order to offer forgiveness, in order to impute righteousness to us, so that through faith, that even while we were sinful, ungodly, hating, warring against God, his enemies, we could be made righteous before him. And he's done it all. Our offenses, right? Are infinitely greater than a son who just wanted, you know, his inheritance so he could run away, spend it on some prostitutes. Infinitely more. And how does God meet us with love? With grace. With forgiveness with mercy, with a seat at the table. Picture yourself, because this really is the picture that God wants us to see. You're the son who's coming home. Oh, but remember, he had how many sons? Two. So maybe you're not that son yet. Well, let's continue. Because the story is really not close to being over. To be honest with you, all of Luke 15, this is the punchline. This is the point. Jesus is an amazing storyteller, and the reason he told this story is to make sure the Pharisees understood you 're not in the party yet, and, and you 'll see it. Look with me, 25 through 28. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came near he drew, or as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and the dancing. By the way, that 's another picture of what it looks like to have life with God. not born God's not against dancing, right for all my Baptist friends. Uh, He's not against music. Rock and roll, the devil's in the wire. That's the strangest garbage I've ever heard. Do not read the Bible. When I first came to faith, I got rid of all my good music. Don't worry, I got it now on Spotify. Thank you. Um, I, I got rid of so many different things, and there might be a reason to do that for a time, but I'm telling you right now, I enjoy a good glass of cab. I enjoy a good whiskey, I enjoy a cigar, and I enjoy it with rock and roll. I like Pearl Jam, to be, to be honest, that's grunge music. I, I just want you to know, all that religious stuff, all that nonsense, it just has no place in the Bible. None. So many times, that's the kind of garbage that will keep people from coming home, because you think you understand God, that he's some, like, infinite fun buster. He's not a cosmic killjoy. No, he literally sent his son so you could have infinite joy with him, so you could party with him forever in the most appropriate ways to be sure. I know some people are probably getting a little nervous. Well, when can we quit drinking? When our lips get tingly? No, I'm just saying God desires you to have life, life abundantly. Why? Because it's a witness to the world. This world doesn't know how to have fun, I promise you. We have more money, more stuff than we've ever had. And I'm going to tell you right now, America's the most depressed and over-medicated people in all the universe. And I'm telling you that coming from a man who comes from a family who has many people I love on medication because medication can be a grace from God. So don't get it twisted. But what I'm saying is it's because many times, not always, this is oversimplifying, you can go and try to find life in this world and it can't measure up. I don't care how many zeros you got in the bank. Why? Because it's just a gift to be enjoyed. It's not a God to be worshipped. God wants you to have a life with him. So go get your degrees. Go get your zeros. Be generous with it. Enjoy wine. Enjoy life. But you'll never actually enjoy any of those things until you enjoy them appropriately. But when you try to suck them dry to get life from them, they will not ever measure up. And the Lord will allow it to just be poison to your taste buds eventually. Why? So that you might come home. So that you might really enjoy life with God. I'm telling you, it's the best life. It's the best life. It's the best life to enjoy the good pleasure of God who loves you. Who sent his son to die for you so you could have life with him. And so there he is, the older son's in the field, and he comes near to the house. He hears the music. He hears the dancing. must have been a real party. And he called one of his servants, and he asked what these things meant. This guy definitely is Baptist. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. You know, before we all jump on the older brother, picture yourself there. Younger brother leaves, gets his inheritance, he's going out, he's partying it up, yucking it up. He's doing double the work. He's doing the honorable thing. He's serving dad. He didn't leave, right? I mean, so much here, right? Rather than joining the party, rather than going and enjoying the fact that your younger brother's home, right? He gets angry. And if we can slow down and we can be honest for a moment, we can agree that this anger seems justified. It seems very justified, right? You may have siblings in your family who are drug addicts and you're like, oh, I feel that. Because they've not ruined their life. They've ruined my life. They ruined my mom and dad's life. They ruined everyone's life. And if they would come home, I don't know that I actually would want to see them. That's how ugly our hearts are. But this young man has been responsible for so much pain within this family. And the older son is angry, he has no interest in going to that party. So, what happens? <laughs> and he's got a good father. He's got a good father. Look at, look at verse 28. His father came out. So picture him. He's steaming. He's angry. And his father comes out and he entreats him. He's imploring him. He's like, come on, son. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. Oh, can you feel it? He's seething. And, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat. He's like, I don't even want the fattened calf. You didn't give me a goat, Dad, that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, you don't even call him his brother, this son of yours, when he comes, you know, the one who's devoured his property, your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him? Really? I mean, you can feel that right? I'm throwing the word really in there, but you can feel the pain and the anger. And he said to him, listen to the father's tone. Well, I don't know his tone. Listen to his words. Son, you're always with me, and all that I have, all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and and is alive. He was lost, and he's found. See, See, the older son fires a shot. I mean, it's a death shot to his dad. Do do you feel it? He explains his father's error, right? Essentially, he's saying, you you never, you didn't realize how much better of a son I am. You, You didn't see it, dad. Ultimately, if you could really read it, he's blaming his father for all his misery. I'm here slaving away for you. I'm doing this for you. He didn't want his father any more than the younger son wanted his father. I perfectly obeyed, Dad. You, you hear it? You owe me. You owe me. Oh, see, he, he wants stuff from his dad, too. It's just so much different. He blames his father for treating a wayward son better than the one who's in front of him. His complaints reveal the truth. About his relationship with his father and that's how religion works I I go to church every Sunday why is my kid dying of cancer I give 10% why this why did my divorce happen I I I I I do all these things where are you I remember having this exact moment while we were trying to get pregnant for three years well my wife was trying to get pregnant I was just helping right (laughs) I didn't even mean that to be funny, but I can see why it might be. (laughs) I remember having a particular young lady in our life who, who just continually destroyed her body as she got pregnant. She didn't want anything to do with God. She didn't want anything to do with that baby. And I remember in that moment having the older brother moment. Why, God? Why would you give? I know children are a blessing from the Lord. Why would you give that woman who doesn't want a baby a baby and not give my wife? Oh, how many times he has rescued me from my heart that loves everything but him apart from his grace? See, the point is, it's very clear to see that this story, the older brother is It's meant to reveal a pharisaical heart to the Pharisees. He's saying, do you see yourself, guys? I came here for those who are lost, those who are needy, and you're angry about this? But you've always been my people. Come on in. But they don't want that. They they do not want that. so, So what Jesus is really showing them is that your hard heart places you outside of the party. But I want you to come in. Why why are they out there? Because they cannot understand grace. They can only understand law. That's all they understand. They cannot grasp mercy and grace. And see, there's something wild and outlandish about grace, if we could be honest. It doesn't add up. It's really hard to do some math when, when things have to work logically for you, right? Because broadly speaking, grace can be described as, understood as, let's say, unmerited favor or a gift, but actually I don't like that. It's actually demerited favor, right? We've done so much against God, and yet he still continues to pursue with love and with grace and continues to lavish people with sacrificial love to the point of sending his son to die upon a cross, right? Men and women deserve anything but grace. That's the point. That's the point of grace, you don't deserve it. And, and that's the beauty of it, right? It's a gift with no strings attached. The, the son didn't get to say anything. The dad's meeting him with what? With love. And that's exactly what God meets you with. Will you receive his love? That's the, that's the only question. It's the only question. Well, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't, doesn't matter what you've done. He will meet you. With grace. He will meet you with mercy. He will meet you with forgiveness. He will meet you with the exact love that your heart actually has always been longing for. The question is: will you receive that love? And we party with God forever? Or will you just reject it? Because that's the only that's the only questions that are really left. You see, the religious leaders of that time saw Jesus proclaiming to the tax collectors, to the sinners, come home. Come home to God and be met with the warmest welcome. That was ultimately what was happening. And instead of rejoicing to the goodness, the mercy and grace of God, they complained and they grumbled about how unfair Jesus was being. So the parable ends with a surprising reversal of fortune. I mean, think about this. Seriously, think about this. The younger brother's inside the house, the one who was wayward, the one who was sinning, the one who was the rebel, the one who was just squandering all the money with the prostitutes. He's inside partying with the father, but the older brother's now outside and suddenly looking in, and he's estranged from his father. Why? Because he just won't come in. So here's the point. This parable reveals the prodigal God's heart. I say prodigal God's heart. By the way, it's not original to me, and it's not even original to Tim Keller. I kept trying to figure out who it was original to. I don't know. We'll give God the glory. Prodigal just means extreme and lavish. So it's actually not the prodigal son. It's the prodigal God. He's extreme. He's lavish giving love and mercy and grace. So this story reveals the prodigal God's heart to gather a community based on grace and not on the strict system of merits and demerits when dealing with one another. Now, I would love, I'm not going to do it, I'd love to ask you, has that been your experience with church? Where you just met with a community of grace, Grace is, is, by the way, not just turning a blind eye to sin either. So don't confuse it. But where, where man, you, you can have your life just fall apart in an instant, and you can land in, in one of your friends' house, and you can just be falling apart, and you can be sharing the most gut wrenching stuff, and you can be met not with, not with judgment, but with words that give life. Because that's the, that's the kind of community we're trying to plant here. It's not passive. It's very active. Grace will get in your business. Grace will, grace will confront you. But in the hopes of restoring you, in the hopes of you being restored, not to judge you, not to condemn. I got good news and bad news for you. If you're not in Christ, you're already judged, you're already condemned, you're done. There ain't good news for you, but there is good news. And the good news is that Jesus Christ died to save sinners just like you just like me. And then when he brings them in, oh, he desires we be like the Father. The Father. And who's the Father? He's the one who welcomes sinners in and parties with them. What we're trying to do here is not all that crazy. We're trying to reach lost and de-churched people because that's all there is until you come home. That's the work we're trying to do. But listen, Listen to me right now. If you're not in Christ, today can be the absolute day of salvation. You don't have to wait. You don't have to clean yourself up. You cannot clean yourself up. You come the way you are, and you receive. And what does he meet you with? Grace, mercy, love. See, the father doesn't just run out to embrace prodigals, but he actually goes out to plead with pharisaical sons and daughters, too. So what is keeping you from coming into the party? What's keeping you from receiving? Whatever that is, I pray that today would be the day that God would remove it. And that you'd receive him. That you'd receive his love. That you'd receive his mercy. You'd receive forgiveness. You'd receive life with God. And family, if you are in the good grace of God, let's be a people that's about meeting people with grace. Let's be a people that's about meeting people with good news. Pastor Kevin said earlier, this world has enough bad news. We don't need to add to it. Let's be people who show the Father's love by how we love one another in this community and may that love spread out to this city. That's our call. And so, Father, help us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that that some sinners smell like a hog pen and others reek of a church pew. But you love us both. And you call us both to come home, to repent of our sins, to receive the love and grace that is only in Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank you. That really, it's like when we look at this story, where are you at? It's a little bit of an allegory, but you're the fattened calf who was slaughtered to make the party possible. And so, Lord, we thank you that you are willing to to lay yourself down upon a cross so that sinners like us can come home and we could feast with the Father forever. Father, I pray that you reveal your love and your kindness more and more to the people that are gathered here this morning, Lord, that you would speak a word of grace to each of their hearts. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons Find out more information about For the City or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.